Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this season of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and I am starting a shelter for neglected tardigrades. These gentle creatures may be unkillable, but that doesn't mean their hearts can't be broken. For the price of a canister of spores a day, you can make a difference in the life of an eight-legged, galaxy-hopping macro animal. I'll give the link to my GoFundMe page at the end of the show. I'll adopt one. <laughs> I'm joined on this show, as usual, by Ella Pearson. She's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the Chronic Rift Network, which is at chronicrift.com. Welcome back, Ella. Thanks. Good to have you back. I take it you've been doing school stuff? How'd that go? I've been doing lots of school stuff. Um, it went great. I got good enough grades to get into my study abroad program next year. So Amazing. I'll be in London. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, so London. So met. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I've talked to a few academics on enterprising individuals, and as Star Trek fans, they often use Trek as a teaching tool in their curriculum. Have you run into any Star Trek classes yet in your studies? I have not. Well, actually, I kind of made one of my classes this semester into a Star Trek class because <laughs> I had to um, analyze the most recent season of a current running TV show um, for my final project for um, like a mass media class. So oh, sure. I chose Disco. <laughs> Oh, well, really? Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, no brag, but the video I made, my professor said it was the best one they've ever gotten. She was uh, very shook, so Excellent. Uh, yeah, it went well. <laughs> Is this video for public consumption? Um, I could make it for public consumption. Yeah, I'd love to stick it uh, <laughs> on the Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hope- right. easy A then. It, absolutely, for sure. <laughs> Uh, we, are, we are joined today by two special guests. Uh, first up, she's the chief creative officer and co-founder of Bard Soap, as well as a graphic designer and blogger on cultural, political, and feminist topics, and an upcoming guest on Enterprising Individuals. It's Sarah Lynn Mishner. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you. Um, I bring this up because you're a frequent guest on the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast, and they've, ca- they've campaigned long and hard to save The Expanse, and it's been yes. saved. The, uh, the Expanse is now an Amazon show and will continue with its fourth season on Amazon. Yes. I'm very happy about that. Super I, excited. Yeah, me too. Um, what makes The Expanse so good? I think that it's it takes it's 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 hard science fiction on television and it is it takes the science very seriously. Um, and it's also something that for some reason science fiction does not work close to home that often, you know, it, 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 maybe it's easier to invent, you know, completely new worlds where humans may or may not be a part of it than to deal with, you know, a much more immediately foreseeable future. And uh, the expanse deals with, you know, a world that we could have in a couple hundred years. And it's, it's a world where, you know, we still have a United Nations and it's like the United Nations in space. And, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, that that makes it so compelling. And I don't I don't understand why uh, it has struggled finding an audience at all, because just brilliant. And it, in fact, it's everything that 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 Star Trek fans often say that they want. <laughs> you know, they want all the diplomacy stuff, but apparently they're not willing to spend the time or money or I don't know to, to find it, you know, where it where it exists. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, also joining us, she's an editor and a writer on sci-fi and genre fiction, as well as issues of race, gender, and sexuality in genre entertainment. And another future guest on Enterprising Individuals, it's Eleanor Tremere. Eleanor, welcome to the show. Hi, Jolan True. 
Welcome. Uh, you moved recently uh, to London from Germany, uh, where you'd lived and worked for a number of years. Are you settling in okay? Yeah. Mm, I mean, yes and no. It's a really strange experience because, uh, I mean, I grew up here, yeah. um, but I feel like even though I only spent, I was living for three years in Berlin, um, I still feel just that little bit out of sync and out of the loop. And uh, I feel like, a, like I feel like a foreigner, but I'm not. I grew up here. So it's it's, yeah. a, it's still like a... It's a work in progress, but uh, yeah, yeah, learning to love it again, I guess. There's a there's a myth that English food is bad, which of course <laughs> is wrong because there are so many different peoples in England, uh, and there are so many different kinds of cuisine uh, that you can sample when you're there. Uh, so that's great. Uh, but is there anything from Germany that you miss? Because the Germans have a very particular uh, and distinct cuisine. Mm. Any foods from there that you uh, wistfully remember? Not really. Really? <laughs> I huh. mean, if, if English food is bad, then German food is kind of worse, in my it's opinion. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not the worst. It's the worst, perhaps. But uh, lots of worst. Um, it's fine. I like spätzle. That's good. Oh, okay. okay. I miss that. That's like a sort of noodly things made of potato, which is delicious. Right. Very German. I studied German in high school, and I was amazed and pleased to learn that sometimes Germans uh, for dinner enjoy uh, something called a Kalteplatte, which is basically uh, like cold cuts and stuff. Uh, mm. which, and I love cold cuts and meat and cheese. So you say I'm eating an entirely tire deli tray from the supermarket. I say it's a Kalteplatte. Oh, yeah. Now, that's just like a German breakfast and or dinner. Yeah. They pretty much eat the same things for both those meals. And then at lunch, they have like a hot meal. But lots of cold meat and cheese and bread. That's, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> uh, I know that you had a Star Trek role-playing group. Is that going to go on? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We're um, we're in the middle of season two because I've structured it like a TV show. Oh, and awesome. uh, yeah, it's getting pretty intense. Actually, when I was on the podcast uh, the other day, I was really we were flying so close to the wire with things that I had put in my show. And I had to keep remembering what was real canon and what was my canon okay <laughs> i hope that everything i said was real canon okay right, well, sorry I'll double check that. <laughs> I'm go i've gone too deep man i'm too deep you're you're in too deep <laughs> well welcome everyone today we're going to take a look at the first season of star trek discovery star trek left the airwaves in may of 2005 with little more than a whimper leaving fans to wonder if they'd ever see a new first run star trek series on primetime tv the answer was yes and no after a troubled pre-production, Star Trek Discovery premiered on CBS's digital streaming network, All Access, in September of last year. Critical reaction was high, though fan reaction was mixed. And although CBS never released detailed streaming statistics for the show, they did report doubling their subscriber base after the show's premiere. And third-party analytics show Discovery matching or exceeding the demand of its streaming peers. With the second season of Discovery currently in production and set to debut sometime in 2019, Star Trek is back to continue the five-year mission that has now lasted five decades. And I don't know about you guys, but I binged the whole show uh, ahead of this show. I knocked it out in a couple of days. And I have to say, oh, wow. it it goes. Like, I find Star Trek in general fairly bingeable. But the way these episodes are designed to fit together, the way it's paced, it really flies by. Did anybody else yeah. uh, binge the show or have you watched uh, several episodes at once? I did. Oh, yeah. I watched the whole... Do you guys ever watch stuff, like, a little bit sped up? <laughs> oh, like at uh, 1.5? Yeah. Oh my uh, god, no. <laughs> that sounds intense. I listen to, to audiobooks sometimes like that, but I, I've never tried it with video. I'd be horrified. <laughs> They're just like running around the ship really quickly. So I, yeah, I mean, it's creepy how fast you get used to it. And then when it goes back to like normal speed, you're like, what's wrong with my computer? 
Do you get um, that with real well, life anytime? You're like, why are people moving so yeah, slow? Yeah, so slow. I mean, I, I talk pretty fast in general. So <laughs> and like when I speed it up, it's just how I talk normally, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I noticed right away how easy it was to just like binge all those episodes. Um, and especially when I was watching them, a little bit sped up. <laughs> There. I watched them all ep- uh, week by week and I was reporting on them every week so every single time I was looking for easter eggs and I was making judgments and it was it was such a roller coaster my opinion of the show changed every single episode I loved it or I hated it sometimes multiple times during an episode so uh, <laughs> maybe maybe binging is the better way to watch it because week by week it was just so up and down there's no time to let anything really sink in too much you're just on to the next thing yeah, exactly. I think maybe we, uh, you know, especially reporting on it, it was kind of, you do end up obsessing over the details, you end up coming up with theories, and then you maybe get really attached to a theory that you come up with, and then you get disappointed with what actually happens. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah not so great. We've definitely uh, toyed with uh, our share of theories on Discoverage, <laughs> uh, as Ella knows. Um, <laughs> we were some early adopters of the uh, whole Viler theory, which, of course, turned out to pay Yeah, off. I was going to say, we didn't have that problem because we were talking about it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guess we'd have to go back through the library, but I think some of our predictions, or at least some of our guest predictions, were um, pretty, pretty spot on for some of the developments. Nice. Yeah, I feel like they telegraphed a lot of them um, quite clearly. Some of them they buried, but um, the Mirrorverse one, I thought that was that was a nice amount of foreshadowing. Like it still felt like a twist, but we still kind of saw it coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it was. I think there's, you know, twists are the um, the uh, device du jour of uh, TV storytelling these days, and I think that shows rely a little too much on them, especially when you rely on something like they clearly worked very hard to keep the uh, Vogue Tyler thing secret because they like lied about an actor's name. And, you know, like the mirror thing, you've layered it in. You know, if people figure it out, fine. Why not let it just sort of come out? It reminds me of and I don't want to spoil anything, but if anybody's watched Westworld, there is a particular twist in Westworld that is important um, to the entire narrative and the way they're telling the story. And I think they were kind of upset that fans had figured it out uh, online. Whereas people I figured mm-hmm. that out? Yeah. Oh, a lot of people did yeah. from the beginning. I, I'm just not perceptive. Well, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> well you're watching it so fast, uh, things go by. <laughs> but I don't care about that kind of stuff. Like, as long as it's not just some last minute, you did it, or he, he, this guy shot that guy. As long as it's they do the work. I think it's fine to realize something's going to come. There's a dramatic irony that you experience, you know, um, with the characters. And so I don't really care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I felt like they did, they paced the uh, the twist quite well, especially with Vok, like, everyone noticed when he sort of mysteriously disappeared and then, oh, and then Ash is here. Like, um, so it, it... it felt natural, but at the same time, that, that was a little bit of a clue, and I felt like that was eased in quite well. I don't think any of the twists felt abrupt. They all felt uh, naturally sort of progressed. Yeah. Um, although they did, you know, when he broke Culber's neck, they showed that like 57 times. <laughs> if you did it, if you... Yeah, right. If you did a drinking game with uh, somebody saying we are Starfleet and uh, them showing Vok breaking Hulbert's <laughs> neck, you'd be dead by the you know the end of the show. Yeah, they really hammered that one home, didn't they? Um, that speak to, yeah, talk about a twist. Uh, something else I noticed uh, as I was rewatching the show is that unlike previous iterations of Trek, you know, this is of course faster paced. There's a smaller number of episodes, and I found that pace and I didn't do this on purpose, uh, breakneck at times uh, in Uh comparison (laughs) to the presentation of earlier shows. 
Um, there's great character moments in Discovery, but there's nothing compared to the sort of side tricks we take with uh, characters in other shows. Um, like, I can't even imagine an ongoing poker game with the crew of Discovery. Uh, and even, oh my God. even when they're in, like, a holodeck type thing, they're using it to kill Klingons. And they're not, like, taking a mud bath or, you know, being Sherlock Holmes or something. It's always, like, Lorca, though. Yeah. Like, would he do anything other than just kill Klingons in a holodeck? Well, yeah, right. Does he relax? Does he ever sit down at his desk? But there's a lot of things you could do, like with, you know, Saru, he wants to know, like, yeah. about the best captains in history. Like, he could just go to the holodeck and, like, watch a recording of Robert April, you know, dealing with some crisis. I really felt that was one of the weaknesses of this season was that it felt like they were really, really concerned about the plot and making it this big sort of dramatic thing about war. They completely forgot about making the characters uh, like each other. And, and yeah, like, I would love to see them actually develop friendships and relationships and feel like they were actual people. I feel like the only character we really got to know was Michael. And even then, we don't know what she does in her spare time. And that's like, that's a good part of what, like, that's a whole lot of what TNG was and what made us love the previous Star Treks. So, yeah, I feel the opposite. I mean, I, I thought that they, they developed all of the characters really well. Like, I can't really pick which... It was really hard for me to talk about, you know, in, in other podcasts, like what my who my favorite uh, character on, on Discovery was, because I feel like they were all really well done. And their little moments with, you know, uh, maybe they're smaller. Uh, they're, they, they don't take as much time with them because when they were making TNG, you know, they had like 50, 30 episodes a season or something. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was, it was insane. And we were so, you know, incredibly lucky to have that. But TNG is the, the one I grew up on. Um, so I, I, it premiered when I was seven years old, and I looked forward to it every week. And then, you know, at, at a certain point it was on, like, you know, five times a day, and I watched all of them. But <laughs> I, I think that they kind of had that luxury where they could, you know, have them taking mud baths. But I, I think that they did the same thing in Discovery. It's just that they, they spent less time doing it. I mean, you know, the, I'm you know, thinking about Michael Burnham walking through the corridors with Saru sharing a bowl of blueberries. I mean, that you know, was those scenes were there. So, yeah. Do you ever I, get frustrated with, like, the bridge crew, though, because, like, the, like, Arium and, like, Connor, we didn't really get to know them, like, at all. And that was my biggest pet peeve. Like, oh, all, like, Saru and everyone I thought was developed, like, really well with the time they had. But I want to know more about, like, Arium and, like, everyone else that's there. They get so I'm much really screen time as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping they do that in the next season. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'd love to see them be friends with the other characters as well. Or, I don't know, it m- might be quite cool to have, like, a lower decks group and, like, a senior staff group of friends. Oh, my gosh, and see these two, like... Yeah, that would be fun. As a web show, you know, it is shorter. Um, a lot of properties, especially sci-fi properties that are canceled too soon, like The Expanse, or ones that can't find an audience like The Expanse, get put on the web or in streaming. Um, and so I think that they don't think about doing those filler episodes. Um, the runtimes vary and it's paced for binging. Do you guys think that this is what we should expect from Trek going forward? Or do you ever see Trek returning to a more relaxed, contemplative mean? Um, I just want to see, like, every once in a while, I would love to have, like, a little bit of a slower episode. Like, I think that in 2018, a series that takes the time to have those one-off episodes in the middle of the season is, like, really special. And I think it's, like, a big treat because it feels like you get, you, you're having this really long um, season arc and it feels like you get this break to just do something fun, which is what I love about um, 
uh, magic to make the Sanus Man go mad. Yeah, ex- I was going to bring that one up. I was going to yeah. say, and I think that's why we're going to see, or I hope that's why we're going to see more episodic storytelling in season two, because that was such a popular episode. Um, like, across the board, everyone loves that one. If everyone yeah, has my, Christopher, they're like, oh, the time favorite, And my, like, my fake aunt wrote the one that came out after that. <laughs> 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 I thought that one was really good. I really liked that one as well. I felt like that one was a real, that felt very Trekky to me. Both of those two were the most Trek, I think, of, of the whole show. Oh, I uh, absolutely agree. Yes. So hopefully more of that. Um, more of- <laughs> since we, well, just since we broached the, tub, uh, the topic, let's uh, dig into it and talk about um, favorite episodes. Uh, so we'll just, organ- we'll just set it up here. Ella, your favorite episode? Magic to make the same as Mango Mad by far. Um, Sarah, favorite episode? Uh, uh, that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> think, think about uh, it. Uh, Eleanor, favorite episode. I mean, the magic-y, time travel one. <laughs> I, think I that do was... quite like Leth as well. Or is it Leith? Leith? Leith Leith-y um, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that one, but it also did some weird things with Vulcans, and that's, like, such a pet peeve for me. But it, I, I just love anything to do with Sarek and Michael. I'm, I just love yes. watching. yeah. And it used the um the the oh my goodness the Vulcan philosophy of the um not par because that's the Bajoran one but you know the um the, gotcha. the soul yes exactly the soul right. thing and that's used in um uh, uh the voyage home uh, in a cool way as well so I, I really liked that little uh, canonical thing yeah Sarah, Sarah got a favorite. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No, I refuse. I refuse to answer this question. It's, <laughs> I mean, every time I think about, you know, which one that I actually really love the, the series finale, just because the way that they wrapped it up together was quite beautiful. But I also agree that it had some faults and that the way that they wrapped up the actual war was way too fast. But other than that, I actually loved just the last scenes of, you know, the the, the, the medal ceremony that, you know, Trekkies love so much. All of that <laughs> yeah. minutiae, uh, uh and glory of, you know, the, the camaraderie. It's just lovely. But, yeah. I think I have to say that Magic was probably my favorite one, too. Although my least favorite title. And come on. Oh, man. <laughs> They're so pretentious. Well, so many yeah. of these titles, I'm like, Why? Uh, did anybody, well, what about uh, least favorite episodes? Anybody have a least favorite episode? Ella? Um, I wrote down that the pilot would be my least favorite, but I, I'm kind of torn just because I really liked all of the episodes. I just feel like if I was going to rank them, the pilot would be at the bottom for me, I think. Okay. But I still, like, I still, I still liked it. <laughs> Okay, sure. I don't know, like, it was just, we talked before about how the first one or two episodes felt a little, felt a lot different than the rest of the show, and so I think that's why. Yeah, having watched it again, I've changed my mind a little bit. I think that if you take, even if you consider the pilot, like, the you know, the first two episodes, like the feature-length um, thing, I actually like it as a movie. Like, if it's just a movie yeah. about a character who decides to do this... And it's, it's a cautionary tale. Like, it's not what you should do as a Starfleet officer. It's kind of a downer ending. Like, she goes to jail. Um, I think it works as that. But, you know, starting as the start of a series where we see this character's redemption arc, yeah, I mean, they probably should have totally just started in a prison shuttle. And then we learn about what, who this, oh, what this character did as we go. Um, but if you I cut- mean, I almost wish they had been like, 
here's a two and a half hour movie and then like okay. 13 more episodes. Like, like uh, I would yeah. be more on board for that. Like Battlestar Galactica, the reimagining <laughs> had the miniseries and then they went into the series like that. Sarah, did you have a least favorite episode? You know, I, I think part of the problem with me is that I, I see the whole uh, season as just one long episode, which we never get okay. to have with Star Trek. And I think that, you know, the, the fact that Star Trek has been up to this point so episodic where you have characters going through major major transitions like with uh, Picard and the inner light uh, where the next episode then happens as if it's never happened and it's like you're sitting there going mm. oh my god you would be profoundly affected by that experience <laughs> <laughs> you know and they kind of reference it a couple of times later but I think that you know the lack of episodicness about Discovery is often complained about as being a bug, but to me, it's it's a feature. Sure. <laughs> and so I love the fact that you know we have finally we have a Star Trek where we can explore these much longer story arcs and have them tie together um, rather than just constantly having these tiny little episodes that don't necessarily fit together in a larger story. Yeah. Eleanor, did you have a least favorite? Did you get to say? Um, I didn't, but I would. I don't know. I feel the same to continue the um, ideas about episodic uh, versus serialized structure. Um, that frustrated me about TNG completely. Just the lack of character development is, is really aggravating as a modern viewer. But I do feel like we have seen longer stories before with Deep Space Nine. I yeah. thought they balanced the episodic versus serialized um, sort of like season arcs really well. That's actually my favorite format for um, TV storytelling because you've got it with Buffy you've got it with a lot of kind of late 90s naughty shows and I would really like to see them do a little bit more balancing in season two just so that we kind of get the best of both worlds as far as um episodes I don't like um definitely the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry yeah that really really annoyed me it was just so brutal for no sort of good reason and yeah. it also uh, the way the Federation dealt with the tardigrade was just really, really immoral. And I felt just completely yeah. went against everything the Federation is in canon. And there was no reason given really for it. So um, I felt like that one and also the next one were all the Choose Your Pain. It was That was a real low point for me. It was just so dark. Yeah. See, I feel like they were setting up, though. I mean, the, the cool thing about that episode is that I was thinking, okay, as of watching it, okay, so the Tardigrade is going to be a major character and they're going to spend several episodes talking about and debating the morality of whether or not they should use this animal when clearly, in fact, it goes against, uh, you know, Federation, uh, you know, ethics to, to do so. And that was really me, again, implying or, or applying uh, TNG logic to it. And I was so pleased that pretty much as soon as they realized, oh, wait, this is causing this creature great pain, they let it go. So to me, it was an example of, of the, uh, the humanism and the, you know, canon appropriate, you know, they're, they're doing it differently, but they're still nailing what makes Star Trek Star Trek. You know, uh, just the fact that it wasn't this long drought out thing. It was like, oh, as soon as they realized, okay, this is happening and, you know, we can't do this ethically. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they never would have used an animal in or a creature in the first place, regardless of whether or not it caused it pain. You've still taken it from its environment and shoved it in a box and uh, and are enslaving it. And um, I mean, there's some great, really kind of on the nose um, 
stuff about veganism in like the first season of TNG, there's this line where Riker's like, we haven't eaten animals in many years. And I just feel like, how, how do you go from, from that to, oh yeah, let's just uh, shove this creature. I feel like it's, it's fine if you take the war into account, like they're in a desperate situation, but at the same time, I'm not sure that they definitely didn't deal with it in a way that I felt was kind of right. But you're right, the stuff was there, like it was a desperate situation, but I still feel like they didn't develop it properly. I feel like the most important question is, where the heck did the idea for the tardigrade come from? I mean, Trek has mm -hmm. always had weird, superfluous aliens. The first episode has a lady that, you know, is a salt-sucking vampire, but like, who thought like giant tardigrade flying through the universe was a, was a thing? Well, it makes sense. I mean, it's it's it, these creatures do exist. They're just microscopic on our world. Well, yeah. you know, so it, it's cool to imagine that you know what exists in our world is huge and floating around in space and having you know the life of a of a, of a much larger creature. Um, so I liked that. I love that too. I think it also came from the internet because I definitely remember seeing some tweets and uh, posts on Tumblr about the tardigrade yeah. like ages, ages ago, years ago, there was yeah, this, these posts that would go around being like, this is a cool creature that could exist in a vacuum. So I bet one of the writers saw that and was like, yeah. what if it did? Oh. <laughs> Which is cool. I like that. Okay. I saw, I don't, I don't remember if I talked about this on a previous show, but I found uh, in searching around on the internet, um, there's this guy uh, and just for legal purposes, I'm just reporting here. Um, there's a guy on the internet, and he was working on, like, a video game, I think, or, like, a video or a series of videos. And these videos feature a giant blue tardigrade creature that can mm. travel the cosmos. Uh, and it seems kind of similar, in a way, to what's going on in, in Discovery. And as I read the article, um, somebody, um, some outlet interviewed him about it. Uh, I don't think he was trying to sue CBS or anything, but he was like, what the hell? This seems like mm. this seems like my idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird. I think that it's to me, it seems like I, I'm, I, I agree somehow with uh, both of you about the issue about their treatment of the tardigrade. The fact that it seems so abortive or that it doesn't like, I don't know, fly in at the end, like in the finale, it's <laughs> help save them or something like that. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> it's, it seems to me like it was uh, like a fuller idea. Because I know that the whole spore mm. drive and the whole um, Paul Stamets, uh, based on the real Paul Stamets, it was all like kind of Fuller stuff. And that's maybe something that they went, well, maybe we can, this is maybe one crazy thing too many. We can sort of phase this out. Um, that's kind of how I looked at it. Also, it could have been one episode. It could have been like another one-off. Like, um, what's the title of the episode um, with the Horda in the original series? Uh, Devil in the Dark. Yeah, thank you. Um I mean, it could just been like that type of thing where they have the, like this one episode that's like focused on this one animal. Yeah. Um, and then they could have done all of that moral stuff a lot more in depth in that one episode. And then, I felt know. like yeah, that would have been a strength because it was yeah. so, it was stretched out. Like on the one hand, yeah, good, it was a serialized kind of thing, but maybe stretching it out meant they couldn't focus on it enough because there yeah. was other stuff going on in those episodes. Yeah. Um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I had a question and it hangs over the entire production for me. And that is, why isn't this set in the future of the future? <sighs> if you told somebody that this was the 25th century and you cut out all the references to Captain Pike, you call James Frain's character Merrick or Blarick or something, this could have totally played as the future of Trek. It could shut up all the people that don't like that the sets aren't cardboard uh, you can say that after the Dominion War, you know, the Klingon Empire fell into disarray and they got irradiated and lost their hair or something. I mean, what do you think? D does that work? Do you think that we'll ever get 
to the future of the Star Trek future, or we would keep doing prequels into the past? I have a theory about why they said it in the past, and I think it's because there's more of a frontier kind of spirit in that era. It's also like... Mm -hmm. I guess that there's an there's arguments to say whether or not it's the most recognizably Star Trek. To me, TNG is the most recognizably Star Trek, and I feel like that still is true of, of our kind of generation. But at the same time, everyone knows Kirk, and uh, the prequels also just hammered that like era home and really put it in the public eye. And I feel like they wanted the recognizability. They wanted the brand loyalty, and maybe that's why they put it in that era, even though it really sort of trapped them in terms of um of canon because they can't develop things yeah uh also i don't know i feel like and, and the technology is if it's in the far future i think it just becomes like an every, any other sci-fi show it's something i would very much like to see i actually um there was a rumor which was later i think pretty much confirmed by a variety article that brian fuller's original pitch was to do an anthology show right. with each season set in a different era that I am still mourning the lack of. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully one day. Uh, Ella, as somebody uh, who has read some of the Star Trek books, um, wouldn't you like to see a Star Trek book that's set in the future? I mean, the a lot of the books go on beyond the length of the shows into their timelines, but wouldn't you want to see something that's like in the 25th or 26th century? Yeah, I mean, I am not really um, the authority on the Star Trek <laughs> uh, book lines. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that setting Disco where they said it was a business decision after the success of um, J.J.'s movies, especially with people who weren't originally uh, Star Trek fans. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love more than anything for us to, like, keep going. Because if we have something in the, you know, so much farther forward than we're, like, used to, yeah, it wouldn't have the same sort of, like, uh, pioneer, like... Uh, 1800s but in the future feel a love like space but it'll still be it'll be so new for us that i think that it would like maybe even have more success because everyone would be so surprised and they could they could start doing like whatever they want instead of like dancing around these um very strict rules that they, that have been created over 50 years right i feel like they could also do that after establishing the world sort of re-establishing it because the fun of yeah. doing something in the future is to check in on all of these cultures that we love uh, and then do something surprising and unexpected with them so maybe that's kind of their their game plan like re-establish the the era and then jump ahead a couple of centuries and then you're like hey the romians are now all extinct what's about that or like something wild uh, when we're already familiar with the with the characters i think uh, the romulans the are pretty much all extinct yeah, in the prime is, timeline. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh here's a pitch well, i mean it was one it was one planet it was like the home planet that was oh, destroyed yeah, they're all over the galaxy so. yeah yeah um, there's... <laughs> it's time uh, it's the remans time to rise um here's a pitch uh you want frontiers you want uh, 1800s in space i'm picturing a holographic butter churn Take your uh, <laughs> characters, your humans, or your Federation, uh, your Klingons, your Romulans. We all, just, the spore drive comes back so we can go long distances. We're going to colonize the Andromeda galaxy. All new galaxy. Yes. Deliver yes, on the promise please. of Voyager where you're out in the yes. middle of nowhere. Uh, Sarah, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the thing about Star Trek is that I feel like, and I'm always defending the J.J. movies, and I'm always defending Discovery online in part because... You know, it it I feel like people have this idea of what Trek is at its central heart based on 
you know, whatever formative um, series they were first exposed to. Mm. And I think that Star Trek is big enough that there is so much room for a, you know, uh, film series that's mostly action heavy. Um, and I feel like what they're doing with Discovery in part is, is they're trying to say, you know, we still haven't answered the question of how we even get to this point. And I think that in a, in a society as, as dysfunctional as ours, um, one of the interesting questions of, um, you know, for me, as I, as I look at how long I've been a Star Trek fan and, you know, how this has been a huge part of my life for the past 30 years is, you know, are we watching humanity advance or not? Are we watching humanity just go through loops of, you know, war and, and Nazism and stuff like that, uh, of repeating its mistakes in history forever? Or are we actually moving along a slow arc toward, you know, human progress? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think that part of the question that they might be trying to answer with discovery is, it's more interesting to me to say, I want to know, I want to focus on how we get there. I want to know how we get to uh, the Star Trek that we know and love more than I want to know what happens, you know, 250 years after Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. I would love to see, uh, you know, a whole show based on Starfleet Academy. Um, <laughs> I would love to see a whole show on the holodeck. I mean, you know. <laughs> Um, uh, that's fascinating. Um, and I agree in principle. Do you think that a show like Discovery or perhaps a future show can fill in those gaps, um, in the way that you're describing without sort of being constantly winky and sort of, um, fan service -y? Um, like, could we show how the, the, uh, the Federation gets from like, Hey, maybe we should genocide the Klingons to no. Picard's time without us having to see like another actor play Spock. I'm yeah. really hoping so uh, because I I feel like uh, a lot of the they really wanted to go dark with the Federation in season one of Discovery possibly just because they, they wanted the war and they wanted to show what it was like at war um, and I feel like now what you need to do is heal that you need to remember what the Federation actually is you need to show how it gets from there to the sort of utopian civilization that Kirk is always boasting about in um, the original series. And I totally agree um, with you in that, like, we desperately need a, a utopia right now. We need to see how it's built and we need to get have the hope. When I was a kid, um, my dad uh, watched a lot of Star Trek, <laughs> unsurprisingly. And I... I just remember sitting in front of the television, like right, right up close to the screen and just being in absolute wonderment of this, this future, which I totally believed would happen, that humanity would, would get out there among the stars and start, you know, making these relationships with, with other, um, other species and that we would be better, that we would progress, that we would create something wonderful. I just 100%, no question, believe that was going to happen. And my faith has kind of been, you know, as I grew up, I was like, okay, this is fiction. But at the same time, had this idea in my head that, of course, we're going to make this beautiful utopia someday. And I feel like recently, my faith in that has been shaken. And I would love to see Discovery reestablish that faith for me. And then also just society in general. We need hope. Yeah, but I, I want to see them show, and I hope that they have the balls to do this. I hope that they don't just jump from in season two, from what happened in season one to saying, okay, well, we resolved all of that over the summer, no. and now we live in the TOS era, because that would right. be really 
cowardly oh, and disappointing. I mean, I think that that the brilliant thing that of what they've set up and what I have had, you know, a tremendous amount of faith in them uh, for for doing is this idea that you know all of the other series didn't really delve into how we came about this. And probably because mm-hmm. it's a really tough question to answer. It's a tough question for political scientists to answer, you know? And so, because uh, we've never had it. And and so it would be really cool for them to completely explore that and to take its time with it and to, uh, you know, discuss all of the, the problems and possibilities of how we get to that point. So yes. I'm just hoping desperately that that's what they'll do, but not to just arrive suddenly at the utopian vision and, you know, declare all of Starfleet's problems solved. Because in reality, you know, we we are not going to evolve physically somehow. This is going to be a structure of society, and that means any structure of society could be taken away at any time. And we were shown that with the war with the Klingons. Like, just, like the Federation was almost completely dissolved and so, yeah, I, I really hope they do that. Oh, I, I so hope so as well. I feel like we need a story about building, uh, rebuilding from war um, and uh, just deliver on the promise that Enterprise didn't quite deliver on. Like, show <laughs> us how the Federation is made, please. Yeah. Or even there's can so... You imagine, though, oh, can you imagine if the lights come up on the first episode of the second <laughs> season and Burnham is like, Saru, we won the war against the Klingons because... And we're all like, oh! Right. <laughs> come um, on! Can you guys, it reminds me of Game of Thrones, which has a lot of um, like more prurient elements and like action and things like that. But then they'll go back and just sit around and talk around the little council for 10 minutes. Um, Can you see perhaps Discovery or a future show actually showing us what it looks like uh, on the Federation side as far as their civics and politics go? Because I feel like every time we uh, interface with the authority in the show, it's uh, an admiral comes on to yell at Kirk or Picard about something. I'd kind of like to see a little more political uh, stuff. Maybe that's not going to work on a a sexy, action-packed web show. I'd really like to see that. I think you can do that without making it boring. And especially, like you said, with Game of Thrones, people have got really interested in the sort of political machinations. Um, But yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Like even in TNG, this nice idea of the Federation, admirals are still coming in and being like, oh, Picard, you, and wagging their fingers. And uh, it's like... The Federation shouldn't just be shown to be good by the actions of, like, maverick ships. Let's <laughs> see what, what the society yeah. is like. Let's see what that gets Yeah, you. then you risk space colonialism. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and they have that kind of stuff on the expanse, so I think that's a good model. Um, talking about uh, the values of the Federation, I want to bring in the character of Michael Burnham, who is the point of view character for most of the series. And the show itself is the story of her redeeming herself and in doing so, uh, redeeming and securing the values of the Federation. I remember commenting on an early episode of Discoverage that I liked the construction of Burnham as a character, but I wasn't sure that I liked her. By design, she's way off the reservation with her actions early in the series, and they set up her arc of redemption uh, playing out through the series. And I wondered if I'd end up rooting for her or if I thought that she would get what she deserved. And I have to say, I think they pulled it off. I mean, I think the ending uh, is a little schmaltzy um, with her speech to the Federation Council, but I totally buy her arc. And if anything, I thought that they they could have done a little more with her ending uh, as with her being the uh, the touchstone ultimately for those those Federation ideals um, and keeping Starfleet from the brink of doing something horrible during the war. Well, I think she learned, you know, when to speak up and when to uh, say no to your captain, which is, I think, a really interesting concept in and of itself. Like in the beginning, <laughs> the, the the mistake that she made, 
you know, even if she was right, and there's a good, uh, good amount of evidence that she probably was correct, but she was wrong in how she chose to do it. She was wrong to, you know, create this mutiny. Um, but in the end, she kind of learns, wait, we, we define Starfleet by our actions. We define, you, you know, the, the Federation by, by the choices that we make. And even in this desperate situation, if we lose sight of that, then we are we don't deserve to have it. We don't deserve to to run the Federation. And so she learned in the end that yes, stand up to command, stand up to authority, but when when the authority is, you know, wrong about the the principles it says it's 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 to serve. Yeah, she's acting Certainly. on like uh, societal or democratic principles and not like her own personal per, uh, impulses or right. Or, yeah, principles. I really yeah. love that. I really think that she was she was acting a lot on like because I think she projected so much onto Giorgio and I think her childhood had a lot to do with why she took that step to literally just attack her captain and go off because Giorgio, I think she felt like was all she had because she was so alienated from the rest of the crew and Sarek obviously was never <laughs> yeah. um, the best father. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've enjoyed seeing her, you know, because now we've seen her make friends. I mean, Tilly and Ash before um, Ash wasn't yeah. Ash. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think she's she's very endearing. She's well developed. She's oh, she's amazingly acted. I just Sonequa Martin Green is she has such resonance, emotional resonance in in how she performs. Um, I even even acting out some lines where I was like, oh man, she made them work. She's she's really <laughs> great, and I feel like her character feels very Star Trek. Um, she's got that whole. Um, clash of culture thing, which is very Star Trek, because you have that in Spock and yeah. Worf and yeah. so many of the best characters. Um, I think I think she's she's great, um, and I really love the ending as well. Just that that speech was it was yeah it was schmaltzy, but it was very very classic Trek. <laughs> it was yeah. Earned. yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you guys see her? Did you guys see um, Sneak One, The Walking Dead before Disco? No, no she was <laughs> so underrated. I thought nobody really talked about her. I, nobody talks about her performance enough, and so then when she got cast, I was like, "This is gonna be." She was, girl. <laughs> she was actually um, that was one of the reasons why there was a lot of contention between Brian Fuller and the network, oh, according right. to mm-hmm. yeah. uh, according to articles and stuff. That he was he wanted to delay production so that they could cast her because her um, oh, really? stint on Walking Dead wasn't going to end, and so he kept pushing it back. And he was and for other reasons as well, like budget and and building yeah. sets and stuff. But um, there was a lot of conflict, and that was the real kind of the real thing he pushed for and then they said no but then they ended up firing him and then that pushed the production back so long that then they were like okay well let's let's cast her uh, at least i'm not sure 100 percent of the timeline but that seems to be what happened yeah. and uh he definitely made the right call there she is really really good yeah uh she is not the first female uh or non-white main character but she is the first female and non-white one <laughs> and in typical enlightened federation style her sex and race aren't really a factor in any of her, her interactions um other than pushing forward the goal of representation do you think that non-white non-male genre characters can elevate the conversation in media without their status being part of that conversation sarah yeah i mean i think that what was different about this episode everybody keeps saying you know well, Star Trek has always embraced non-white characters, and Star Trek has always celebrated diversity, which is 100% true. Uh, and it's one of the things that just makes me shake my head when people on Twitter are like, you know, well, Star Trek has become all about SJWs. And I'm like, 
<laughs> it always has been since Wait 1966. What the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, um, you know, the, 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 the thing that makes it different is the fact that she is the main character. Like she is 100% the main character. We are all in her arc. Uh, you know, we are centered around her development with, you know, emotional development with the other cast members and everything. And that, to me, makes it hugely refreshing, um, even within Star Trek, because we, we didn't really see that uh, in past Star Treks. And if you, you know, are a member of the 16,000 different Star Trek groups on Facebook that I am, <laughs> a lot of these characters get shit on regularly by white male Star Trek fans. You know, they, they love to make fun of Deanna. They love to hate on Pulaski. You know, they love to uh, make fun of the, oh, well, you know, you just skip through the, the Troy episodes, stuff like that. Um, so it's really wonderful to see, you know, her be the main character. Yeah, um, not to, I'm a member of some of those groups myself, and most of the posts about female characters are usually like, ooh, I'll take two, or just yeah. you know, pictures of them in yeah, <laughs> revealing outfits. I'm on Tumblr where everything is just queer and intersectional. <laughs> that's, but... that's the key. That's it. But they, they really hate Discovery because they killed off Giorgio so early, and I'm like, I do feel like Discovery shot themselves in the foot a bit there with, their, with the audience that they wanted to cater to because Tumblr I'm sure Tumblr will get back on Discovery later but at the moment they hate it and I'm like but in the end you have these three incredibly interesting nuanced female characters like the last episode is basically just Michael and the Admiral I forget uh, Cornwall and um, Laurel and it's them deciding the fate of these two huge cultures and I'm like damn okay but the kind of fans who would appreciate at least the tumblr has already given up on it and i'm like well maybe you should have just stuck with it but also them killing off jojo so early kind of doomed them in 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 tumblr's eyes anyway i mean the the thing about that decision uh and i feel like the, the fact that they took the first two episodes what they knew would be their pilot episodes basically and then on the third episode, completely changed the show. Was ballsy as fuck because what they could have easily done is started with episode three and then scattered episodes one and two in flashbacks throughout mm-hmm. the majority of the series, which yeah. any other show would have done. That is the, the format that we're used to. So the fact that they didn't do that is absolutely remarkable to me because they were like, no, we're going sh- to put this backstory up front Instead of making the audience feel comfortable with the usual audience tropes of, you know, we, you start out the pilot episode with the, the characters who are going to be their, the main characters. That's just what you do. That's just how it's done. And the fact that they didn't do that was awesome. So they really, you know, these Tumblr people need to just get with the program and realize those first two episodes were flashbacks that somebody was brilliant enough to say, nope, we're going to make this one full story in its in its entirety and not rely on that kind of thing. I, was sure, the- I think Tumblr makes decisions way too quickly as well. <laughs> judgment a lot. I was in the middle of subscribing to Tumblr and now I'm stopping. That- <laughs> no, no. Yes. There's a great, like, the Star Trek fandom on Tumblr is, I, is fantastic. And it's like that. And Twitter's great as well, but you also get a lot of angry fans on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm not even going to go near the Facebook ones. So <laughs> Probably for the good. best. Um, speaking of characters, uh, any other characters that you'd call out as being your favorite in the show? Ella, do you have a favorite character? I think besides... Saru is my favorite. Okay, Saru. Saru, sure. <laughs> what were you going to say besides who? Besides Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think um, 
especially this last uh, rewatch. I think Saru is my favorite by far. I um, actually really wanted to, we just got a new kitten and I was really trying to convince my mom to name her Saru. My mom was like, we are not naming her Saru. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Eleanor, do you have a favorite character other than Michael Burnham? Tilly, I love ah, her. Yes, Cadet Tilly. She's so great. I need to see. Uh, I would be happy if season two was just the Tilly show. She is so great. <laughs> yeah. The Tilly show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tilly's also my favorite. Mm-hmm. I love Mary Giorgio as well. Even though, like, I love what the little we saw of of Prime Giorgio, but I just love Mary Mary Giorgio. Just like owns it, and she's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I love um, I love Michelle Yeoh, but I think uh, evil Giorgio is probably the way to go as far as uh, her performance goes. Yeah, she's I good. hope that she's actually a, a regular or uh, a rapidly oh, recurring character okay. in season two. Yeah. Um, at, what about least favorite? Anybody that you want to dump on just a little? Um, I would say just in terms of the, you know, sh- just a, as a way to show the character development, I couldn't stand Stanitz. Uh, initially because he was just so rude to Burnham and such a prick and then throughout the season I grew to absolutely adore him so I feel like um, you know I can't really think of a character I dislike but I definitely think it shows that Discovery did its work in in the character development department just because you do see so many characters individually take a progression of their own with with and given how fast-paced it was that's kind of a miracle i mean tilly it happened to tilly it happened to saru it happened to stamets you know where they all kind of are going through these individual arcs in addition to the main ones yeah i think they tracked those very well and did a great job with that i was just gonna say that was something i like wrote down about stamets when i was watching is that i totally forgot how like how much of a jerk he was before he started like <laughs> shooting up with spores. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different immediately he's a different person and nobody notices until he like breaks. I mean right. we all have that one friend, you know, that started <laughs> with mushrooms <laughs> and then started taking ayahuasca and then they changed their name and <laughs> I'm still confused actually about that because I had a theory that when he started because they did the whole thing with the mirror, I was like okay, when he uses the uh, mycelial drive, then maybe he's switching places with his mirrorverse counterpart. And I was like, I got, I just totally believed that would happen and then it didn't. And I was like, oh, but doesn't that explain why he started acting differently? And I, I don't know, I'm disappointed they didn't do that. Um, I'm also a bit like, so it was just that he was high then. Was was that the changing character? Or like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, apparently tardigrade genes uh, make you a different person. Uh, they give you a little high. Well, my philosophy professor once said about drugs, keep the message, but hang up the phone. You know, in other words, don't become an addict, but learn from what the drugs are teaching you. Maybe. I'd like to say I still feel like he was a bit all over the place. I really like him as a character and um, the acting is fantastic. I, I hope in season two we get a more consistent um, view of him because I'm, I'm not really sure what he's like at the moment. Yeah. I was disappointed about, I didn't have like a least favorite character, but I was disappointed about Landry because um, I really yeah. like Rika Sharma. Oh my gosh, Rika Sharma. Yeah. And I like the idea of a no-nonsense second, you know, to the big bad, uh, a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander. And it seems like Lorca had like, it like indoctrinated her in a way. I mean, yeah. even the non-mirror one. And I wanted to explore more of that yeah. and not just have her face ripped off and then she's gone. That was so annoying. I, I thought that was, and to, to the first two characters they killed off to both be women of color, iffy. Oof. Yeah. Like, 
And then the next one to be a gay man of color. I'm like, guys, really? Okay. Yep. I spent a lot of time yelling about that. But hey, guys, (laughs) it's okay because we're going to add a bunch of new white guys in season two. We've got Anson Mount. We've got uh, somebody playing Spock. Makes well, it so much better. That, that Culver's not dead. Like they, they even, you know, pretty much announced it the day after because they knew that everyone would get upset about it. And you know he's coming back. Right. Yeah, but I still feel like that's still kind of I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that they said a lot about how their love story isn't over, and I'm like, okay, but it's still kind of damaging to the queer community to be like, hey, and also because they wanted to win so many points. They were like, We've got the first gay couple on Star Trek, long yeah. running, and I'm and, and then they're like, Oh, but we're gonna kill one. Take it's like, yeah. ah, and even if they're going to bring him back, I feel like the damage is kind of, it's yeah. it's still not not great. Uh, we also going back to Landry for just okay. like one second, Please. like with Giorgio. Giorgio died, and then we got like a a lot of her mirror counterpart, and we didn't get that much of Mir mm-hmm. Landry. And yeah, Rekha Sharma. I can't believe they cast her and then didn't really do anything with her because she. She is like has this amazing presence. Yeah, I, I was like, I was so creeped at her in an airport one time <laughs> <laughs> because she was at a convention that um, we were leaving and we didn't get to talk to her. And I saw her sitting with another actor, and I was like, I'm gonna be the person. <laughs> um, she was nice, and I was like, Hi, I needed to talk to you. <laughs> How could you space Callie? I was just gonna say she's gonna be in an Ursula Le Guin uh, movie soon, so. Oh, neat. I'm excited about that. She's going to be the main character. We had touched on the setting earlier, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Discovery's new look. Gone are the winking lights of the original series and even the hotel lobby aesthetic of the Next Generation's Enterprise. Now it's holograms and railings and hundreds of little Starfleet arrows in the stitching of the uniforms. What do you guys think of the look of the new show? Sarah, what do you think? I think it's great. I am actually in the process of making a Discovery cosplay uniform, and so those tiny little arrows are driving me crazy. (laughs) What are you doing about them? Well, I'm starting with, um, you know, I I actually have this this theory that athleisure, as we know it, yoga pants and everything, came from Star Trek. And I won't tell you that, but I, I really believe it because, you know, this idea of this daily uniform where we go about our lives which is really what athleisure is about. Thank you very much. I wear leggings every day. I do not own a pair of jeans. <laughs> right. That's true. Exactly. And so for me, I was just like, I'm going to make my, my, my uniform, my, my Discovery uniform out of Athleta because they actually have a pants and a jacket that are super similar to the uniform in navy blue. All it needs is the little gold thing. So I think I've settled to a very fine quality gold puffy paint, and I'm just going to individually Oof. make little upside down V's. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> that's dedication. Wow. There isn't there. There has to be. Um, couldn't you make like um, somebody could make a like a transfer, right? Like you could just like have a sheet of gold uh, little arrow things Probably. and you could cut out Could you get the same finish would it be as metallic though if it was like a transfer mm. uh, i mean just like an iron on type thing yeah I mean, the problem with that is it's really difficult to put iron on transfers onto existing uh de- you know completed uh, garments that have curves yeah. and, um. and 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 mm. bumps and lines and all sorts yeah. of things like that so it, if i was making it from scratch if i knew how to sew i would absolutely do it that way but i you know i do not because <laughs> you yeah you could transfer all of it onto the fabric before you started cutting right ella do you have a favorite mm-hmm. element of the show's new look um 
I mean, I think it's gorgeous. I do like I know why I know why they made it so different. Never it totally makes sense, but it's I get really it's hard for me to get like stitched into the show a lot of times because I'll just forget where we are, like what century it is. Okay. Yeah. And then Don't somebody will say something weird or I'll hear like a original series sound and then I remember. And it's always kind of weird and shocking for me. And like especially the stuff with like they're always using the like the mirror in the middle of their room, like Burnham and Tilly. And oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, just no. put a just put a mirror in the room. Why are you doing <laughs> right. that? Yeah. Like, everything else makes sense. That oh god, that mirror bothers me so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really pretty. I yeah, I wish I could uh, sew something with fabric that looked even remotely like the fabric <laughs> they used. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think it'd be pretty easy to put together a uh, undercover, you know, in the last episode where they go down to the planet and they're in like... When the they're just wearing leather? Smuggler like, gear, yeah, leather in a, in a infinity that scarf kind of, or something. That really annoyed me. I was like, it, the J.J. The Abrams movies do the same thing. It's almost exactly the same with the grey. And I'm like, my God, that's so modern fashion. Like, at least with yeah. the um, with the other yep. shows, they try desperately to think about what future fashion would be. And it was, you know, sure, you had, like, the beehives, but the beehives continued into TNG and Voyager and stuff. Like, you still sure. get these these cool, like, uh, high hairstyles. And then when they wear their civvies, oh, my God, they're just, like... Couch covers. They're just, like, yeah. one one suits, and the I swear, Deep Space Nine just raided every single bowling alley in L.A. Yeah. and just took the carpets <laughs> and made clothes out of them. It was great. Um, and, and then I'm just like, oh, okay, but you're going to wear all of the same kind of things that you could pick up at a high street stop shop here. You know whose outfit was literally the best, though, was Stella. Stella was oh. wearing something that looks straight out of TOS. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like a bright red dress and then bright purple tights and like shiny shoes. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I mean. <laughs> Which... Her actress is also on Winona Earp, and she's a really great actress. Oh, okay. And I'm just like, you don't cast her just for five minutes in an episode. <laughs> she's going to come back. It's going to be fantastic. And the dress and the tights, that whole episode uh, I was reading the other day was done to save money. Like, you know, it's, I like yes. it. I like it because it's self-contained. But the, the reason it's self-contained is because they were out of money and they needed something they could just do in, on the same sets. And so they probably didn't spend much on those tights. But yeah, it, it works. I mean, I ranted about this. Check. We don't yeah, have I, enough money. I said this briefly on, on Twitter yesterday because that's true of so many of Trek's best episodes and the entirety of TOS. You know, they didn't have enough money, so they made... Silly costumes that are still iconic. They wrote bottle episodes that are some, you know, um, Measure of a Man, which uh, Aaron, you mentioned in our other um, uh, thing that we were doing the other day, and um, Duet, and so many episodes that ended up being on the best episode list. Um, I think In the Pale Moonlight is another one. And it's, I'm like, just just give them less budget. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I like it. It's great them. to see. Yes. It's fantastic to see the the CGI like Discovery is beautiful and I really enjoy that. But I'd rather have the kind of in-depth stuff that you get when writers are challenged because they don't have they can't do whatever they want. Sure. So they're like, okay, what do we do with the stuff that we do have? Um and I I don't know, I hope they reduce the budget next season because I think <laughs> the show would be better for it. We love a desperate writing staff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Take everything <laughs> Not away from desperate that. enough to go on strike. 
Yeah, just but enough that they Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just enough to writing. use some bright purple dyes. <laughs> yeah. With the um, with the design though, um, I I enjoy like the um, Ellie mentioned the little uh, toss sounds, and I I really enjoy that. The little pew pew on the bridge is great. Right. Yeah. But um, I miss the color. Where did the color go? Like toss is so saturated with with pinks and greens mm-hmm. and blues. And when Fuller was announced, I was super excited because I was like. I love what he did on Pushing Daisies. I love how he had yeah. he can do that like uh, sort of fusion of eras with it being kind of retro and colorful, but also modern. And that's what I just assumed he would do with this. And I don't know how much of the design was him and how much of it. It, it feels like it's also kind of the same desaturation he used in Hannibal. So maybe it was his influence. But I'd love to see more color. Um, but do not get me started on the, the blasted holograms because (laughs) hollow communication was invented in 2373 in the Deep Space Nine episode for the uniform. The whole episode was kind of like, that was an important plot point. And uh, I'm just like, so so you're just going to ignore that? You're just going to be like holograms because Star Wars did it. So we got to do it. (laughs) Right. No. Uh, Yeah. Stupid things to get hung up on. uh, Does Star Wars ever take from Star Trek? I mean, except for all of it, you know, from the beginning. Uh, because it seems like Star Wars or Star Trek is always trying to catch up with Star Wars holograms and things like that. Um, I just wish that we saw like a sort of flow back and forth. Just say that Star Trek is kind of trying to catch up with Star Wars. <laughs> sure. I mean, you look at Aaron, the, please. you know, J.J. Abrams was basically auditioning mm-hmm. for Star Wars when he, he did was. Star Trek. And yeah, that's J.J.'s problem. <laughs> Actually, it goes. It, an interesting thing I learned about Solo was that the opposite happened. Hmm. They originally, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, Wait, Kira... I okay. <laughs> Kira's is the main, fun. like... Sorry? I'm just, it's so embarrassing. I have to be like, wait, I didn't see it. Don't say anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Um, so Kira is the main love interest uh, played by Amelia Clark, And originally, they were going to have her be an alien babe. Like, they were going to have her be... Yeah, just like different, not the kind of standard human hero that you see in every single Star Wars movie. They were going to give her cyborg bits or blue skin or like a weird sort of shaped skull. And the concept um, art is absolutely fantastic. And it literally says in the concept art book that's official, it was nixed because the studio thought that it was too, it was, it wasn't there Genre, like it wasn't their um, franchise it was too Star Trek <laughs> okay. um, and I'm like are you kidding me it really annoys me with Star Wars that you just see these humans and the animated shows have really gone the other way in in showing um, non sort of like human um, characters okay. but it's like apparently with the movies they just don't want anything to do with that which pisses me off so if anything it's the other way around Star Wars does not want to be anything like Star Trek although they are trying to uh, Star Star Wars is trying to get more woke now because they've got more you know themes of uh, the the deeper meaning of being a rebellion and uh, the justness of war and stuff like that and I don't think that they do it with quite the facility that um, Star Trek does Um, speaking of uh, Star Trek and its storytelling of course social allegory has always been the meat and potatoes of its storytelling um, there are some very explicit jabs at current political uh, environments in this show. I think L- Lorca literally says at one point he wants to make the Empire great again. Um, I never felt that they were particularly focused. Uh, it might be that mm-hmm. the writers don't want to alienate a part of their audience or they don't know what to say just yet. But a lot of that material fell flat for me. Um, what do you guys think? Ella? What I, I would like to see them do more of that. I, th- I mean, what made 
the original series great is their commentary. Like, what makes Star Trek great is its commentary on, like, our society right now. And what's going to make Disco really relatable and fantastic and a great commentary on our society right now is if they delve into Trump. <laughs> okay. Um, and I really, I think that that's, they have to be going towards that. They talked really blatantly about the Terran Empire, just everyone's afraid all the time, so they're always angry, and they're super xenophobic because they're so afraid. It's like, that's a direct parallel sure. <laughs> to our country, I think. Um, I really hope they go that direction. Otherwise, I think it's, yeah, they've been dancing around it a little bit. But, I mean, I think none of us really know what really to say at this point either, so... I, I totally agree. I think that it was, I agree with both of you, um, because I think it was very confused. I think they wanted to make those comments, but they didn't want to do it clear enough so that they pissed off some of their audience, because I feel like they kind of did that with the Klingons. They kind of had this weird, uh, like, purity concept with them, um, and they were almost supremacist in that idea because they were making a war about it, but at the same time, they were trying to do this anti-colonial commentary with them and I'm like you can't you can't do it both ways because the <laughs> the message gets very confused are they purity supremacists or are they trying to defend against colonialism because if if they're supremacists then they're the villains and so we we sympathize with the colon the colonizers so like messy but yeah the mirrorverse they kind of did that yeah. um I feel like also maybe they maybe they're afraid of what the federation is because like it, it is a socialist utopia like mm -hmm. there is so much of that Right. in um, the original series and, and definitely in the next generation. I would really love to see them just go hard and be like, yeah, here are all of these things that makes uh, the Federation work. And guess what? It's democratic socialism. Sorry, guys. It's just what it's always been from the beginning. Um, and I think that's the advantage of having it in the modern era. But being able to sort of do that, that social and political commentary, but they haven't yet. I'm hopeful that they do. The Klingons, uh, yeah. they don't want to be overrun by soy boys. That's the problem. Oh, clearly. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> we that were... Federation with their dang avocado. <laughs> Sarah, we were talking before about the remove of telling stories about humanity, but in the future, do you think that they scored any hits with their political commentary? Um, I think that, that you know, I, I think a, a, a big problem that I have with um, fiction and what people refer to as SJWs. And, you know, to be clear, I consider myself an SJW. Um, uh, and I have been certainly called that in a very derogative way by many people over, over the years on the internet. But I think that uh, one thing that bothers me is that yeah, this idea that, that we believe that a show should have a message. Um, I think that it's a much more important um, function of fiction to have the ambiguity there and have the audience have to think about it and have to say, wait, are, are we supposed to be on the Klingon side or not? Like, are they the bad guys or not? And I think it's actually a much more um, advanced form of storytelling to make us question that constantly and, and make it a little bit more ambiguous so that we are forced to think about them because it, it, it's more real that way. You know, I mean, the, the Klingons believe that they are correct and, you know, if, if they were more obviously villains, then it would be, uh, I think, a, a less interesting show. But I think that, you know, a lot of fiction gets into this into this uh, problem on the Internet where people are not people are upset that, that it's not more of a specific message being told or a clear social message being told. And 
that's really not fiction's job. Fiction's job is to show the world as it is and, and let us make our own, you know, choices. And at the same time, discovery does depict a socialist world that is clear you know we understand that because we have the context of star trek and even on the the original series and on next generation you know they never really spent a long time exploring those issues they just they just told us that it's socialist and that's how that's how this utopian ideal works they you know they 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 did a thing with zephram cochran in one of the you know one of the the movies and they said well here's what happened and then ever since then it was cool and it was socialist (laughs) and the vulcans rescued us and taught us how to live and now here we are (laughs) I, i kind of disagree with you on on two counts firstly i think that they do it's it's true certainly that they don't go hey here's how we build the federation because that's that's what we'd quite like to see but um at the same time they do what discovery kind of touched on in the final episode which is they show how the federation works through their actions and through the diplomacy and it's so rare especially watching the next generation from a modern standpoint to see conflicts actually resolved through discussion and diplomacy it's so refreshing um because in modern storytelling and, and in discovery as well they just they delve into the conflict of it because it's more exciting. And I'm like, no, I, I really like the discussion. I think that proves what the Federation is. Uh, I wanted to say in, in response to uh, Sarah's comments, um, something that disappointed and kind of confused me about the show is that uh, I agree with that with you in principle, but I didn't feel like the show ever established much of a viewpoint for the Klingons. Like in my rewatch, mm-hmm. I felt like Takuvma was kind of an idiot. Um he had this idea that they were going to remain pure or whatever and get everybody together. <clears throat> but as far as that, I mean, he's killed. We don't really know if he had a philosophy, but we never find out his philosophy. And he sort of lights this torch um, metaphorically and literally and starts this whole thing. But I don't I never feel like he had like an ideology that I could really sink my teeth into. Um, ha- he, he didn't have a viewpoint that I felt like mm, he's kind of got a point there. They just kind of seemed like, That's let's true. fight everybody. I think what we're dealing with a lot with Discovery is new viewers. Like, there are a lot of viewers that have never seen Star Trek before, so we don't really have the context of us already knowing who the Klingons are and what their deal is and who the Federation is and what their deal is. And I don't know that Discovery Season 1 actually established that particularly well um, in introducing... Because I think a new viewer could watch the Klingons and think they were villains and, and not really understand what they were like at all because a lot of the cultural stuff was kind of gone and really not get that the Federation is good. Like, I don't think you can watch season one fresh um, and get a good idea of what the Federation is until like the last 15 minutes of the last episode. Um, So here's hoping season two kind of reintroduces it to a new audience. Well, speaking of fans, uh, the fan reaction to Discovery, uh, at least as far as it can be measured objectively online, has been somewhat mixed. Uh, most of my interactions online and here at Discoverage have been more than positive. But there's definitely a Not My Trek campaign out there. What do you think is behind some fans' reluctance to accept the show? And do you think there's a chance of them coming around as it continues? Sarah? I think that that people really are just asking for the same show that they grew up with repackaged and put in a new box. And I think that that's just the dumbest thing. Like I I really, I mean, I, I totally understand the impulse because I have lost count of how many times I've rewatched like TNG or the TOS movies. Like I love Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock and the Voyage Home so much that I've watched those three together more times than I can possibly count. Um, And I love all of it. But I, I don't, you know, if you really want something new, 
you you don't just repackage the same you know formulaic episodes where we know the Federation's going to win, we know they're going to have diplomatic conversations to resolve their issues, we know all of these things are going to happen. And so I think that as as fans, we should be the ones who are most excited about what Discovery is doing um, because they're really changing some fundamental things without changing the fundamental things that what are what makes Star Trek Star Trek to me. So I think that when I see somebody online saying, oh, well, it's not Star Trek, I want to be like, um, excuse me, but Gene Roddenberry would fucking love Discovery. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like I saw an article online called like the dismal frontier and it was just this incredibly shallow um, discussion of what, of what the author perceived coming out of discovery. And I, the whole time I watched it, I was just like, or read it. I was like, does, did this person watch a different show than me? Like it just didn't, none of the, the, the cynical interpretations that this author had really captured what, the show what discovery was about this is the uh one by uh i think it was by light of gold on current affairs on current affairs yes yeah see that was interesting because i um it, you know it is a um more pessimistic take but i agreed uh in principle with a lot of her specific criticisms of um some of the missteps of the show's first but she season. didn't she didn't actually do specific criticisms like she made a, b- a bunch of you know sort of uh she launched into this discussion on well you know it's just not socialist for instance but she doesn't actually explain what about discovery is lacking that would make you say that what you know and then she's like well then there's war and guns okay but that doesn't actually explain so she she did a lot of saying this is what i think but without a lot of discussion as to why and i that seems to be a trend in you know in in modern critical theory online as well and i feel like it's a, a byproduct of the clickbait era but there's a lot less explaining why an author thinks that or why an author is is interpreting what what they're what they're saying and and a lot more of this is just what I think it is. And I think a lot of people are making. Delving. Sorry, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are making um, snap judgments about discovery because it's new. I mean, they do that with everything. There's everyone saying, oh, but people said that about the next generation, and that's true. And they also said about the space nine, um, and. So yeah, I think new and different is very much needed because if you try, this is one of the problems I have with Voyager. I feel like they they just tried to be TNG again and it didn't work. I mean, for me, it didn't work. It's a fine, like it's an okay show. Um, for me, I'm just like, I could watch Voyager or I could watch an episode of TNG and it would be the same thing, only kind of better. Um, but, you know, Voyager's fine. But what I want to see is, yeah, definitely something new and different. And I'm really hoping that, that yeah discovery continues to do that because a lot of also people hide behind those criticisms a lot of the time because they're kind of they don't like the fact that the lead is a woman of color they don't like the Mm -hmm. fact that there's queer representation and they're like you're making star trek political and i'm like what show have you been watching (laughs) (laughs) they have agendas yeah ella do you have uh, friends that enjoy the show as much as you i don't have any friends that watch disco (laughs) i don't have track friends (laughs) okay that's terrible Um, you know i'll I'll go to i'm always the youngest one in the star trek panels at conventions but um (laughs) i'm used to it it's fine um yeah i mean i just think i think that there's a lot of different factions that hate disco for a lot of different reasons and Mm -hmm. i think they're almost all illogical i mean I think some of it is people who, like white men who decided that Star Trek was this action show about this womanizer, 
um, and it's in space, and so it's cool. Yeah. Um, and so then when they are forced to realize maybe it's not, they just get mad. Um, and I think that a lot of people just have, especially, I don't know, I don't want to say that it's all white men who are hating disco, but I think it's a lot of just, like, white there's men on so Twitter. Many. <laughs> yeah, so many. There's, there's oh. So many. Oh. Them. And I think that they all just have so much internalized... Um, homophobia and sexism and racism that I mean the odds are almost set against them if no one's helping them to get that out of their system if you know what I mean and so now that we have um a star a star trek show that's you know has um a woman of color as a lead and um is very obviously trying to have um a lot better representation I think that they're just um they're threatened and they're also just I mean, we're all overprotective of Star Trek. I think that everyone who's a Star Trek fan has a really special relationship with the franchise. But um, so to these men, being protective of it means that they're going to hate disco no matter what. And they decided that before disco came out. And they'll watch, they're going to watch every episode and hate it no matter <laughs> what they do. So yeah. yeah. I think like the problem the same is... complaints before it actually premiered. Like people right. were yeah. angry about the look of it. And when I say look, I mean they were angry that there were constantly pictures of Giorgio and 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 Michael. Like that's what they mean. Yeah. 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 I, when that... I was um researching for my I t- I talked about I had to do like a video on it. My video was analyzing the representation. Um and the <laughs> so I was like Googling um, like just finding all these horrible tweets to put in my video. And yeah, it was all like, oh yeah, it was, it was fun. It was all like forced representation. And it's like, you can think that, but, um, you live on earth. So <laughs> I don't know how to help you at this point. Now I don't, now I don't want to see this video. I do think though that there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of naysayers who aren't just uh, straight white men. And and the thing is, they're not being yeah. loud about it. Like, the loud, angry fans tend to be mm-hmm. the straight white men. That's just kind of, like, what they are. Um, <laughs> but the silence the silence from Tumblr, to me, speaks that there are a lot of uh, of other, other kinds of people who felt like the show didn't do them justice. I personally have a lot of a lot of Star Trek friends, and a lot of them are queer. And most of them don't watch Discovery because... I mean, I don't know, they're traditionalists. A lot of them just really like the older shows. Um, but I think a lot of the problem with analysis now, and I've seen this with, with Star Wars as well, which really concerns me, is that it has to be one or the other. It's incredibly polarized. You have to love it or you have to hate it. And one of the camps is wrong. And um, it's become a real critics versus fan thing with yeah. uh, with The Last Jedi, with, with Star Wars. And it's like, can we not just have a nuanced view? Like Discovery, for me, I have... I'm so middle ground with it because like there are some moments where I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is so great. I'm so excited to have a new show and other moments where I'm really disappointed. Um, And it's like, Hey, maybe it can be both those things, you know, maybe it can be really good, but also have, you know, some flaws and some things they need to work on. I feel like, especially with the age of the internet and, and Twitter where you have to condense everything to, you know, just like two sixty characters or whatever um, that people are like, here is the hot take. And it is this way. It's like, okay, but maybe you'd enjoy things more if you had a more nuanced view. Yeah. Yeah. You stop yelling at everyone else about well, like <laughs> we're uh, we're American, so we don't do nuance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, and I think it'd be really it'd be really easy to be really upset with the show. I think like if you are a huge Star Trek fan and you love everything Star Trek, um, but maybe, you know, 
Enterprise was a disappointment to you, and then, you know, Disco comes out, and it's, again, it's dark, and it's a war, and it's a very different, um, like, in a lot of ways, it's a very different feel, and it's a different theme, um, even though they're, they're exploring all the same stuff that Star Trek has always explored, but it's still, it's not, like, like we were talking about, it's not the primary colors of the original series set. It's, it's not the same... Um, happy ending yeah. every time. There are things that I love about Enterprise, the show, but, oh, absolutely. but I don't put it on for fun. Really and, there are, <laughs> no. and there are things that I really like about The Last Jedi, but I'm not going to pop that in in lieu of uh, Empire Strikes Back or something else. I even, you know, I like Solo a lot. I'd probably watch that again. Um, I watched Enterprise when I was recovering from a tonsillectomy. And, um, I think that's the best way oh, to watch no. it because I tried to watch it. Um, healed and sober, and I was like, "Oh, oh sober." I want to, yeah. <laughs> I want to like this show, but it was better when I was on morphine. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we've done the hard work here on this show. I think we've earned a chance at some unmitigated squee. Uh, what's a p- specific moment uh, that really did it for you in the show? Uh, like a favorite moment, Ella? Do you have a favorite moment from the show? If you had to pick one, if I had to pick something that I says actually, discovery, if I had to, to you. pick one. I I have one. <laughs> sure. Um, I think I'm pretty sure it's in um magic to make the sanest man go mad um when it's one of the times that mud's on the bridge i'm certain i'm so certain it's this episode but i was googling this before the show started and i i couldn't find it specifically so if i'm like completely wrong i'm sorry but um anyways um basically saru like makes that move to protect michael like he puts his arm across her like he grabs her and he's like okay we've already lost people today and that moment I thought was just, it was so important for their friendship. Their friendship is everything to me. And um, also I just love how Saru is constantly like, I'm literally engineered to be the most nervous thing (laughs) in the galaxy. And then he does stuff like put himself in front of Michael, who he knows can take care of herself. He is a Starfleet captain. (laughs) He's just kidding. I'm honestly, I will cry. on air right now (laughs) (laughs) uh sarah did you have one i think i i really love everything with tilly so much because she's just such a wonderfully it's really hard i think for for tv shows to get awkward characters right and you know like we saw what happened with tng and like barkley and (laughs) and i really i love the fact that she's so likably crazy and and awkward and i i just i love every single scene that tilly is in in other words i love her little you know her her fight to kind of learn how to be more in command and i you know i was homeschooled and so i identify with tilly so hard sure. <laughs> like i was socialized in my 20s and you know plenty would say i still haven't been completely socialized so <laughs> i i love every single scene that she's in Oh, I love her too. She's just, she lights up the screen. She's such an interesting, compelling character and so funny as well, but not in a way that makes fun of people who are anxious, which I feel they kind of did a little bit with Barclay. Uh, Also, great body positivity. Like, Trek has a really bad history of squeezing women into tiny jumpsuits um, that, you know, they had to be sewn into or... Um, poor uh, Marina um, Sirtis who like had to lose so much weight and was consistently mm-hmm. made cry by the producers and yeah. there are some really nasty behind the scenes stories so I love the fact that we've got Tilly on screen and she's like she's an average woman and I'm like yes I am also average sized yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, different body shapes on uh, Discovery which is great um, you've got you know 
thin and gangly uh, Doug Jones as Saru, and you've got uh, Burnham, who's more of a compact person. I guess as long as you can pass the Starfleet physical, uh, you're you're good to go. I also just love uh, a lot of my favorite moments were actually in the Mirrorverse arc because I feel like that's when the show really came into its own. Apart from Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, which I do think is the show at its best, um, Mirrorverse felt like that's what the show always wanted to be because they wanted to do the kind of darker thing, but they did it in a really campy, fun way. And I was like, yes, so good. Um, still sad they didn't put Giorgio in a mini skirt, but you know, whatever, that's just me. Um, <laughs> I love that the costumes were great, though. And there were so many just like, yeah, moments. Uh, like when Lorca was kicked into that thing, I was like, yes. So oh good. my God, when he, when he tried to die in Burnham's arms and she's like, um, um excuse me, what do you think this is? <laughs> uh, and, and seeing Michelle go kick his ass was so satisfying because she's yeah. such a good, like, obviously such a good um, martial artist. Um, yeah. So it was good. Yeah. yeah. Or even watching Admiral Cornwell get, you know, destroy the, the fortune cookies. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite moment is yet to come because I am so desperate to see number one on the screen in season two. Yeah. I mean, we're, we've they've got the ship that she's on. And I'm just like, because uh, for those of you who um, who don't know, number one is the is Majel Barrett's character from the unaired pilot that was later incorporated into uh, an episode of the original series. Um, she was the first in command for Pike, and um, she was axed from the show because she didn't test well with fans, even the women who said that she was above her station. And okay. um, Roddenberry, uh, according to William Shatner, could only fight for Spock or for number one. And uh, okay. Shatner said he he fought for the alien and, and married the girl. <laughs> which is right, true right. but considering how Majel Barrett just she is the first lady of Star Trek she was the wax on a Troy later she's the voice of the computer I and obviously in uh, she was Christine Chappell in the original series so I would love to see an homage to her yeah. by having number one be an actual character in Discovery that would finally sort of it would just bring it back around in a really nice way like she it took decades for her to get her day but number one finally finally got her chance in spotlight <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like come on please 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 I um I like a little moment. It's a little character moment. Um, it's when they get back from the mirror universe, and it's the conversation between um, Viler, Ash, or whatever, uh, and Burnham, uh, where they're like breaking up, kind of, but they're both blaming each other for what's going on. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "You're just scared and you're running away," and she's like, "You tried to choke me out." And <laughs> and they both, it's like this premature like enlightenment or resolution like they both have points but they're both not seeing each other's points um as we go into this finale like they're separated and we we, we know that there's a resolution coming but they're both being kind of short-sighted and it's the kind of uh, nuance that you don't usually get in genre tv as far as um characters development and their relationships with each other just interpersonal relationships like on a sci-fi show like i thought it was really nuanced and cool yeah, that scene was so realistic. I mean, it was just incredibly, that is how that would play out. You know, whatever century you're in, you know, especially if, if you have a character like Michael Burnham and not a pushover, like, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I, I, I can't, I mean, I've dated a guy that had a yelling problem and I, at, you know, he was 99% perfect for me. And I was like, look, dude, I, I love you dearly, but that 1% is a deal breaker. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, we've already gotten a couple clues about what's coming in the second season. Uh, of course, Anson Mount is going to be Captain Pike. Uh, Tig Notaro's been cast in the show. Uh, there's been a notice for a young actor for a part that sounds like a young Spock. So probably get a kid Yay! Spock, maybe an adult <laughs> Spock. Yeah, there's been rumors that uh, former Trek actors like uh, Marina Sirtis and Patrick Stewart uh, could make some kind of appearance. What do you think we'll see in season two? Ella, what do you think? I'm... 
all of that, all of that and more. <laughs> and yes, Spock. <laughs> um, I always want to say Spock. I'm going to say Spock every time, but they're all so, uh, they're, I just, they're always like, mm, we're never going to see Spock. So don't even think about it. And it's like, I'm, I just need, somebody needs to fight me is what it comes down to. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe someone at Paramount needs to fight you. Literally like. Right. The, with the on wound. Boxing match for charity, but the charity is just us getting to see Spock in the next season <laughs> and I'll win. <laughs> I'm hoping for more of the good stuff and I'm hoping for better stuff. Like I said, I talked about how I want to see more um, uh, direct uh, political parallels. Sure. Um, sure. I'm hoping that, you know, they made a lot of promises about... Um, that first gay relationship on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to say, I'm so sorry, my cat is in the garbage. <laughs> um, uh, is this some kind of code? I don't understand. <laughs> Did you activate someone? I mean, with this? she's 10 weeks old and we've been recording. Oh. I'm, I've just been struggling trying to make sure she isn't making noise. And it's just, she's knocking over the garbage. And it's just, it, <laughs> I, I had to mention it. <laughs> it got to that, that point. Yeah, seeing them be friends, seeing them have like their equivalent of poker nights, just feeling making the discovery have become a home. Yeah, because I feel yeah. like you can take shots of the Federation all you want as long as you have a heart and a center to the show. Um, so yeah, uh, but most of all, Section Thirty One. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm excited to see it, but man, I'm I'm intrigued. And um, they need they need to do it right. They can't glamorize Section Thirty One. Like make it fun, sure, but. I'm con- I have my concerns and I have I'm I'm excited but concerned <laughs> basically. Sarah, how about you? Um I think that you know I think if if anything defined what makes discovery special to me in in ways that is different from the other Star Trek series is the fact that I have no idea what to expect. Every time I, you know, I, I mean each episode, each new episode that aired you know, when they were originally premiered, I was so excited. It was like a counting down the days to the next episode. And that's never really happened with me in, in Star Trek before. Not because I wasn't, I was always excited, but I always at the same time knew exactly what to expect. Right. So the fact that, you know, we really have absolutely no idea what they're going to do is exciting to me. Um, I'm mostly uh, excited to see what they do with Dr. Culver. And I really hope that it's very much in the physical realm. Um, I have this yeah. fear that they're going to, as beautiful as their relationship is, I don't think anyone wants to see them have a relationship that only exists in the mycelial network. Yes. You know, nobody wants yeah. to see that. Right. <laughs> I'm very I concerned really too. Love, I love their relationship and I, I think it's so real and so everyday and, you know, and yet so incredibly believable and, and incredibly loving at the same time. So I really, I really, I'm so excited to see what they do with that character. Yeah, it's really, not only is it the first, you know, uh, same-sex relationship, but it's really like one of the first, um, DS9 aside, um, long-term <laughs> relationships that we've seen. You know, usually our characters are well, they're going from port to port, you know, or it's a love interest. And I always hated that. For the, yeah, know? it's a love interest every week. And so, to, yeah, to see it, them as a couple just being together. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Like, it was so unbelievable in TNG that, that they, they had such a Puritan sex life in general on TNG because everyone was like, was like, well, I love Beverly, 
but I, uh-huh. I I choose my career instead. It's like you live on the same yeah. ship. Yeah, yeah there's literally no reason. <laughs> TV writing is easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. This is oh, crazy. It, it's just they made them all so asexual, and then they would go off for one away trip to a different planet, and then they'd get their freak on. It's like that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's how they keep it going. That's how they reach Nirvana <laughs> in the 24th century. Uh, here's my thing. Uh, I, I can't top any of the things that you guys said, so I'll just say green spore. Green spore. What's going on? Wow! Oh, I'm so excited. The thing that fell on his shoulder. Wait. Yeah. What? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What is that? Well, Especially because it's chilly. When? The thing that the when? at the end of the uh, the last episode. They do the whole spore thing, they get back to wherever, and then that one little green spore kind of lands on Tilly's shoulder and goes into oh. her shoulder, and we don't know what that is. And it's just, speaking of TV writing is easy, that's like, all right, there you go, that's your thread, we'll pick that up later. I'm mad, I really hope they don't do any weird possession stuff with Tilly. I mean, we've just had a, a whole dual personality thing with Ash, which I en- I enjoyed until they rushed. I felt like they so rushed that ending. Like the the payoff for me was just way too abrupt, and yeah. I was like, um, draw it out, make it like why not over two seasons? Yeah, but although um, the whole, but just Tilly's- just real quick, the the scenes that we did get, um, as I was rewatching, I was like, wow, uh, Shazad Latif is really killing his whole speech about what they did to him and his you know what he's experiencing and also just his shifts from like yeah i talk like this no i talk like this just like the control over yeah his character and his instrument was really great sorry go ahead the accent and linguist stuff he does is fantastic yeah. and he he's just i also really love the just allowing a man to to be a victim and and to have this yes. really traumatic thing i thought that's great we never see that on tv yeah. but um uh but yeah i really hope they don't do that with tilly because like I don't want any darkness with her. She, she's cool and fun. I mean, unless you're making her killy, because that's fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's so, oh. I don't know. Maybe, okay. maybe they could do it. Now we know what it is. I think that's definitely what it's going to be. That's a great... Yeah, yeah, it's going to be that's it. That's what it is. <laughs> well, uh, we've covered pretty much everything, I think, so we will call it to a close for this week. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EIST Pod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both Enterprising Individuals and Discoverage are released. You can also tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage or email us at EISTpod at gmail.com. And while you're on the internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and subscribe to the show? Give us a rating and a review if you think of it, because it really helps us out. And stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. And as always, if you like the show, tell a friend. We don't know exactly when it will be, but we will absolutely return with Star Trek Discovery when it comes back to CBS All Access. And as always, you can hear us talk about that week's episode live just a few minutes after it airs on Sunday night. And we won't be reimagining the show. We're keeping it just the way it is. Ella, I don't know if you heard, but our competitor, After Trek, hosted by Matt Myra on CBS <laughs> All Access, is being reimagined. But I think that we're, uh, I think we're fine how we are. Uh, me too. Um, Matt Myra is a perfect human being. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do. I do like him a lot. I think it's too bad that he has to be uh, pitted against us, though. <laughs> Stay off our turf. We're much. We're much more sophisticated. Yeah. Don't bring yeah. a mechleth to a disruptor fight. That's right. <laughs> uh, Ella, thanks for joining me on the show. Remind people where they can find you online. You can find me and my dad's podcast at Generations Geek on Twitter um, and Instagram. I don't know if you're going to keep in the part where my uh, 
whatever I was saying got derailed by my new kitten, but her Instagram is at not.jonesy because her name is Ripley. <laughs> um, and my Twitter is at Gondor Gold. Um, we have some new episodes coming out on the podcast pretty soon. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting. And me and my dad are going to be releasing some content, um, whether that's podcasts or videos um, or whatever, while we are at um, Taikon Daroga next weekend, um, which is uh. at the um, set replicas in New York. For the original set tour. Yes. Awesome. Um, and I just, I'm, I can't wait to just cry. <laughs> <laughs> that I want a picture of you in the, uh, in the captain's chair crying. Oh, absolutely. That I can give that to you. <laughs> this, this captain cries. Yes. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, I am most active on Facebook. So facebook.com slash Michener, M-I-C-H-E-N-E-R, just like the author. Awesome. And Eleanor, thanks for being here. Where can people find you on the web? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Extra Tremereal, which is uh, my surname. And um, tell me what's name my blog. At the moment, I'm thinking, is Captain's Log too egotistical? <laughs> I don't know. No. Uh, <laughs> so um, maybe that. Who knows? Maybe that. Uh, the, the crying captain. <laughs> sensitive captain yeah uh thanks again for joining me everyone uh thanks for listening and we are signing off this is aaron for sarah eleanor and ella saying live long and prosper <laughs> <laughs>